Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Headlight. Most of we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Oh, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question why horror? So, with the lights, you sit back and let the darkness envelop you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they want. Okay. By pledging on Patreon to access the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, hey. it is a brand new year, dog. It is. It is 2022. Woo! Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year's. We made it. It's barely. Been, it's, if we barely. <laughs> it's been a good year, though. It was a great year. 2021 was an awesome year. It was a blast. Hopefully, everybody had a really good 2021. Thank you all for your guys' Spotify unwrappings. Yeah, oh my you God. guys made me cry. <laughs> Fuck y'all. But love y'all. With us. Like, Jesus, that was amazing. So thank y'all for just honestly keeping the dream alive and fuck we i think we went up 82 percent extra listeners during uh on spotify during uh, 2021 which was absolutely insane so thank you all so much because honestly very very emotional yeah (laughs) but with that being said like since we are like new year new us same us just kidding (laughs) um we are also doing a little something extra this year where we want to make sure to connect with all of you. So, in the show notes, we actually have a link to our Discord. <gasps> with our patrons are actually technically already on. However, it's now officially available to everyone starting today. Because you can click that link and you can join. <laughs> so, make sure to join us in and let's keep the conversation going. There's going to be a lot of great stuff inside there as well where we're going to be um, pretty much just interacting with you guys, talking about movies and having a good time and shit. It's going to be great. (laughs) But since this is a new year, we're going to kind of kick it back a little bit. Just kidding. We're not. We're kicking it forward because this is Attack of the Sequels. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> that was very high pitched. I'm impressed. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that was a, a, an E chord. Oh. I'm just kidding. I have no idea about music. Well, join but our Discord. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh. Hot cha cha. This man. This man. Freddie, everyone. David's <laughs> not here. Um, David is at a dinner right now. We're technically recording this tech in 2021. So, David is in the past. We're in the future. That's how we live our life. Yeah. One day at a time. Bad boys for life. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is Attack of the Sequels Month, where we are going to be discussing nonstop sequels, starting off with Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Wow. First and foremost, ready? Thoughts? What a movie to kick off this entire month, because... Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> this movie, for sure, is a ride. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of 2021, even though we're still in 2021, but looking back... Uh, and rewatching this for, I think this was the third or fourth time. 
Right. Just shows how much I love this movie. Um, I wanted a little bit more too. I feel like the runtime is only an hour and a half. If, yeah. Right. Um, but there's so much in this movie already to unpack when I can't wait until we actually go scene by scene and talk about this movie because I feel like this movie is very important. I feel like it did a really great job of keeping some originality but connecting it back to the original movie as well. And it just has so many layers to it. Yeah. Um, and there's so much to talk about. There is. And and for those who haven't seen this movie, um, which watch it. It's it, it is you have it to. is a pretty good movie in my opinion. I, I very much enjoy this movie. But it is a direct sequel to the original nineteen ninety two Candyman. It has yeah. nothing to do with Farewell of the Flash and so on and so forth. Like all those sequels are slightly irrelevant besides um Daniel Robotai's uh story. That that's the only thing that kinda has transgressed um through into the lineage of this exactly. So like that, that moved through it. But um very much like I, I do love this depiction. Actually, I, I like the fact that Candyman isn't one person. Right, um, it's a collection of people. Yeah, and, and a collection of people who were wronged. Yes, and I very much um, enjoy that aspect behind Candyman and how Candyman is a uh, is kind of catered to um, a time and also a uh, the same community, but a time in that community. Right. I think that is something that speaks volumes. Like yeah. I, I find that to be a really cool thing about this movie. There are, I'm with you though on things that I would like more of. Right. I, I, one, Which I we would, might get yeah. in future sequels and stuff like that. Well, maybe. Um, but like I, I wanted more, not, not of the, uh, well, yeah, I guess more of the story per se, but I just it, it just felt like something is missing in right. this movie, and I don't quite know what that missing. It goes from is. point A to Z too fast. I, I think. I and think it just wraps up too quick, and you're like, yeah. okay, we were just getting started, right. and now you're really wrapping it up and stuff like that too. Did Did you watch the alternate ending? Uh, I didn't today. Uh, yeah, you did. I have like just now. twenty minutes ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the alternate ending also feels quick. Yeah. Like it doesn't it does I still don't feel like it wraps it up as neatly as I want it to be wrapped up. Um do I feel like the ending is powerful? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 100%. I do. I very much like the ending. Um but I also feel like the Z part was strong. I know a lot of people don't, but I think the ending is a fairly strong ending. I just don't like all of the stuff that we had to do to get there. It just felt like we ran to it instead of kind of took our time to get to it. Yeah. But I mean, cause thinking about it, like Candyman 1992 um, was so methodical with the way that it was like, we didn't even see Candyman in the 1992 until version. Way until way like 45 minutes into the yeah. movie. So um, it, with that respect, I, I would have loved for this movie to slow down a little bit. Um, but all in all, I do love this movie, though. Like, yeah. I really love this movie. I think this movie's amazing. Um, but when I first watched it, I remember thinking that I was like, "Well, oh, this is okay." Like, I, right. I, I was super hyped for it. It was the hypest movie of 2021 for me. Yeah. Um, like, I I wanted to see this movie in the Nighthouse the most, more than any other movie in. Uh, the, I guess that came out in 2021, um, and I was slightly disappointed when I first watched it. I was like, mm, "That was just fine." Second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I think I'm understanding a lot more right. of what Nia DaCosta was truly trying to invoke. Um, and 
when Rosenfield and, and Jordan Peele being the co-writers alongside Nia DaCosta as well, I think that's where this movie fell flat was because there's three people trying Too many cooks to, in the kitchen? Yes. Yeah. And I think it was just three people writing a script. That's That's a lot. That's a lot of hands in a story that is coming from three different minds. Right. Um, and I think that shows in this movie. I think, um, yeah, I think the rewatchability of like rewatching this and liking it more and more and seeing what their true vision really was. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, this movie was really good. I really enjoyed it, but right. I didn't love it. The more I watch it, the more I actually love it, too. Yes. And. Uh, I was with The Silent Night earlier, and we saw the behind the scenes of them talking about the movie and what their intentions were, and that was so eye-opening for me. I was like, damn, there's a lot more where, I like, me personally, I missed a lot of the message, yeah. and it all makes sense now. Right. But I feel like they had all the same vision, but, like, like we were just talking right now, it's like, maybe too many hands were touching this film, and it just felt too quickly told. It's like, cool. Yeah. Like, he just finds out about the story... <laughs> he starts transforming. Boom! Now he's Candyman. Now it ends. Yeah, it. I, I think I think like, that's damn. Uh, the the hero's journey or anti-hero, wherever you look at it, moves too quick. It is like a past story, but also a origin story of someone who's right taking up the mantle of Candyman. I agree. And I feel like that just moved on way too fast. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think it goes a little too quickly. In yeah, this but, movie, for sure. Um, with that aside, great acting. Oh, amazing. Great cinematography. Amazing. The score is great. And also the sound mixing. The sound mixing in this movie is insane. Every little small detail, you can hear it perfectly. And I saw that in the theater and also at home. I was like, damn, this is really well done. But I was blown away by how it was made. The art direction in general was great. The way they told the story was also pretty flawless with how they use the shadow puppets and stuff like that. Oh my god, the shadow the puppets, the, the, the those paper puppets blew me away. Right. That it's, is is probably one of the best things in this movie. All practical as well. Yeah, and some of the shots with the mirrors too. So incredible. I wrote Crazy. that article for Bloody Disgusting about the mirrors and and mm -hmm. what it represented to me. Um I don't think it's on bloodydisgusting.com, but it was on their uh their melling um what do they call it? The rewind. Um, and I, I talked a lot about like how the reflections are very much a reflection of like black history and black past and right. black pain. Um, and, um, it, that to me speaks volumes in this movie and there's something, you know what, fuck it, let's just jump into we this because, jump, yeah, because yeah. I, I think this will be better explained when we go deeper into it. Candyman. Directed by Nia DaCosta, released August 27th of 2021 with a runtime of one hour and 31 minutes and a budget of $25 million and a box office of $77.4 million, which oh, fucking incredible. Right. right. Now, it's money. here's one thing to also note as well. This was a film, I think, by this was the number one film in the summertime by a black female director. And that was the first time that's ever happened. Right. And that's fucking incredible. And that seems impossibly odd, but also not surprising. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, a rating of 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
And right off the bat, like you get the reflection of the title cards. Ah, I love it's, it. It looks so, so good. cool. Like it looks great. I love when studios play around with like the logos of the yeah, studios and stuff great. like that. It's like I yeah, love that stuff. Dude, that's that shit. awesome. Uh, we open to a young boy named William playing with cardboard cutouts. A cop cutout chasing a black man. William voicing the cop telling them to get on the ground, asking for their hands. He's like, hands, hands, hands. And I'll put my hands up. I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> His less. mother tells them to uh, do the laundry. Um, he leaves out of his house uh, in the projects. His sister asking him, where is he going? Without looking at her, he blindly says, laundry. <laughs> she asks for him to do hers, um, but he denies her, con- uh, continues walking to the laundry room. She hopes that Sherman gets him, but that causing him to look back. Type appears, Cabrini Green, 1977. Now, if we are like kind of piecing things together here, right? So mm-hmm. this is 1977. So this is not 1991. So this is not Helen's era. So Helen has like is not Hasn't even happened yet. right. She's probably just born. <laughs> That's so, fair. Yeah, probably. like Helen's not here yet, um, and she's not doing her study here, which is uh, something that I find key into the involvement of this story. William continues walking. A couple of cops in a car whistle at him. They show him a wanted poster of Sherman. He ignores the cops and continues moving down to the laundry room. The cop annoyed uh, annoyed with him. He makes his way downstairs. Two women leaving out of the area. He's about to go inside the laundry, uh, the laundry room. The light shutting off. A dark open hole in the wall. In the wall is reflected on the glass door. Wow, this gives so much tension. Right. So much dread. It's a hole in a wall. It's terrifying. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. And it's like pitch dark black. Yes. You can't see anything that's beyond that like opening and that's it. Like, you know, we, we <laughs> see things like VHS ninety four um is a is a great representation of seeing like a tunnel. Yeah. That doesn't feel as uncanny valley as seeing a hole in a wall. Yeah. Like you see a tunnel and just like, nah, that I'm not gonna go in there. Like it's probably one, it's probably gross. But I'm not. I'm not feeling dread. I'm not feeling st- like scared per right. se. I'm just like, no, nah, I wouldn't go in there. Dude. But that hole is just like, what the fuck is in there? Right. <laughs> it makes no sense of why it's there. Yeah. And there's a great use of tension of like him going into the laundry room. The lights are on a timer. Yes. So you feel like there is a sense of urgency as right. well as like, all right, get the fuck out of there. You don't want to be so there when the lights go off. Like, okay, there's a lot of stuff in the scene. There's so much happening. That makes tension happen. Absolutely. William nervously looks back at it before heading inside the room. He twists the knob on the timed laundry room light and starts loading his clothes into the machine. And uh, I love how we can just see the, the wall the whole time as well. Yeah. He leaves out of the room, the timer on a light switch running out. While... Uh, while while about to go upstairs, a piece of candy falls on the ground, catching William's attention. The light shuts off this time. Sherman in the hole's reflection. He turns around, Sherman stepping out of the hole, humming. <laughs> I'd be yeah, terrified. This is, this is scary. But, like, if we break this down a little bit here, um, you know, let's, let's probably save the breakdown um, of Sherman because we see... The and I, I heard we'll this the as a afterwards. complaint um, for some people is uh, with the trench coat and how uh, Tony Todd wears the trench coat in, in Candyman 1992 and how they kind of kept that aesthetic and they a lot of people wish they didn't keep that aesthetic. I personally like that aesthetic, especially in the 1970s. Trench coats trench coats were very popular for black people during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, you you had a lot of these tropes of pimps and things like that that wore trench coats. So that was very popular for the black community. Um, so I think the trench coat makes a lot of sense um, to me personally, as it is kind of past like representation along the line of identity. representation of all Candyman. Um, yeah. And it's it's interesting though where we see his his arm. It's a prosthetic arm, right? Yeah. Like it's not an arm that someone can get killed by probably mm. fucked up but like <laughs> but like at the same time you can tell this dude's not going out slashing people with right. a prosthetic arm so i i do like that touch he has a long trench coat with a prosthetic hook for a hand um holding out his other hand with candy to william the cops outside hear william scream as they rush inside the building cut to this amazing and gorgeous upside down title sequence of chicago <sighs> Margot. It looks gorgeous, indeed. Like, what the fuck? Like, hearing uh, Nia DaCosta... I was going to call her Nini. Hearing Nia DaCosta um, talk about this scene in particular and her reasons behind it, where she saw it as a reverse homage to Bernard Rose when his opening shot was an aerial of Chicago and hers was a ground looking up to Chicago. That, to me, is so magnificently said. And... I feel like as a director, you kind of want to do something like that where it's like it's something similar. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, look at my movie through a different lens, yes. through a different angle. Yes. So you can understand some more of the story that I want to tell right. of Candyman. Yeah. And that, like, it's gorgeous because it's not even like a complete upside down shot. It's kind of like your head's tilted backwards. Right. It, it looks like a reflection of... Yeah. Uh, Chicago. It's it pretty great. amazing. Yeah. The camera flips right side up to to the present day of Cabrini Green in 2019. A couple, Troy and Grady, are walking to Troy's sister Brianna's apartment. Grady asking his boyfriend if he's nervous, noticing that he's fidgety. Troy claims that he isn't, returning the question back to him. He jokes that he's going to become best friends with Brianna, asking um, asking how he feels about that. He claims that he feels fine with it. Inside the apartment, Grady is admiring her boyfriend Anthony's artwork. Troy complains about the cheap wine. Anthony jokes back that they have um, Moscato, um, if that is more of his taste. I don't get the joke here because I don't drink. Mm. Like, what's Moscato? I don't know, probably expensive wine. Okay. I'm not a big wine connoisseur. Okay. Because uh, um, I have no idea. I don't drink. I, I've, I'm uh, 11 years, no, 12 years sober. So, um, they erupt in laughter as he tops off Grady's drink, and I was just like, I guess this is funny. <laughs> <laughs> he asks Anthony if... if uh, if this is his work, slightly irritated, he comments that it is. It is claiming that it is, ver- is it, a, it is a very old piece. Excuse me. Brianna chimes in that he hates that um, that she put it up in there. He jokes that at some point you have to move on, and I love that. I love that whole aspect of him saying that at some point you have to move on, but yet mm. the past always follows you. Like I, I love that concept here. Fantastic. Troy argues that Anthony has made um, a piece, hasn't made a piece in two years. Anthony throwing more jokes that he doesn't he doesn't get to see him often enough since he's his muse. Now this is also interesting because we get context later that Brianna and Troy, or excuse me, Brianna and Anthony have been dating for two years. Right. Yeah. So he hasn't had. I guess a spark of inspiration in over two years since he's dated Brianna. Damn. And that's really interesting to me. 
Do I know the context? I don't. But it's just, <laughs> I find it interesting. Troy continues hating on the wine. Brianna commenting about him being upset that they didn't use him as their realtor. Grady sits next to him, mocking him. Troy gets up, making a comment about him not knowing anything about Chicago real estate. Brianna joking that he must really like Grady since he's showing off his ass. <laughs> they all laugh, but Troy continues showing his dislike for her apartment. Grady asks what's wrong with it. Uh, I do like this dynamic. I like the comedy in this movie. It right. fucking hits. It's so good. I mean, this is the first time we're seeing these characters, and it's nice to see the relationships they have with one another and yeah. how open they are and very charismatic, and they tell jokes. They're very likable people right off the bat. Yes. So it makes you want to care for these characters right off That's the bat, true. too. Troy comments that the neighborhood is haunted. Anthony writes it off that everywhere is haunted. Brianna tells Troy to not start with that. He moves He moves to the couch asking her why did um, did she have to choose a place with nicknames like Smoky Hollow, Little Hell, or Combat Alley. Grady asks what is it called now. Anthony steps in, sharing the brief history of Cabrini Green, speaking on the history of the projects disappearing when they gentrified it. Brianna translating, quote-unquote, that white people built the ghetto and then erased it when they realized they built the ghetto. <laughs> good line. It is a good line. It's, it's exactly what's happening in my neighborhood right now. Right. So, yeah. uh, Troy continued um, <laughs> that he, right. yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, you've been, you, y'all both been oh, in my I neighborhood, know, yeah. so like you, you've seen. You're it. like, it, it, what the fuck? <laughs> it has changed drastically. Um, Troy continuing um, that he could, he could have gotten them a better conversion. Brianna and Anthony join them on the couch as she continues sharing that they tear um, the projects down to build everything else around it. Grady unintentionally uses this example as their apartment. Um, uh, they are still, they're still, excuse me, they are still until Troy changes the mood, asking if they want to uh, hear a scary story. I'm going to call her Bree and Brianna from here on out. Just Brie, a little yeah. heads up. Uh, Bree says no, but he's going to do it anyway. He goes to turn off the lights, lighting the candles that they are uh, um, that are on their coffee table. They giggle, Troy getting serious, sharing the story of Helen Lyle. He shares that she was a white grad student doing her thesis on the urban legends of Cabrini Green. While he's telling his story, the scene switches to these amazing paper cutouts that shows us the story. He states that for, for research, she would go to Cabrini, asking questions, taking pictures of graffiti and people. But one day she snaps, beheading a Rottweiler. By the time the police shows, she's in the apartment doing snow angels in the pool of blood. We switch back to them on the couch laughing at Troy, Anthony calling it bullshit. <laughs> he tells them that there are articles about this um, and for them to look it up. Troy continues that she was taken in, taken in by the authorities but escapes almost immediately, going on a rampage, leaving a trail of bodies and kidnapping a baby of one of the residents. On the, on the night of the annual bonfire, Helen arrives with the baby as a sacrificial offering she runs towards the fire but the crowd jumps on jumps on her and they free the baby helen walks into the fire burning to death right in the middle of cabrini green they are all seriously looking at they are all serious looking at troy especially anthony troy startles them by excitedly asking for the rosé if it's still in the freezer <laughs> now this is this whole thing is very important yeah and what makes this so important especially if you come from the 1992 version of Candyman, um, is that Helen got framed for all these things she by did. Candyman. Yeah. And what makes this even more amazing is that you kind of have this story that is a story of erasure. And they are saying that Helen did all these things 
when in reality she didn't. But upon that erasure, you hear those stories of the other people who were slain and, and killed in the projects. And those are stories that aren't covered. But if a white woman snaps and does all these things in the projects or anywhere, right. it's fucking news headlines. News everywhere. Like the, the right. a perfect example is Gabby Petito. Right? Yeah. Where while they were searching for Gabby Petito, they f- found seven or eight bodies. Right. And the never even looking for Gabby Petito. Yeah. And like that is that is what people or that is what I feel like Nia DaCosta is presenting here. Right. In this moment. It's just like black history always seems to get erased or swept under the rug. Right. And I find that very important and very telling. And a lot of people have complaints with this movie being too woke, quote unquote. Yeah, and I see I a lot disagree. of the movie reviews. And see, I, the reason why I disagree is because black people shouldn't have to have, quote unquote, wokeness right. as a metaphor. That sh- they, they shouldn't. Like, mm. you shouldn't have to do that. Why, why does racism... Or why have does to be woke culture, right? right. Or, or why does it have to be a metaphor? Like, why right. do you have to think like, like I think he means racism when Nia DaCosta blatantly shows racism, right? Then people are just like, oh, whoa, wait, hold on, you're too woke for me. So I, I kind of in a way disagree with that statement. Um, in the beginning, I agreed with that statement. I was just like, damn, there's a lot. There's a lot of political agendas up in this movie right, for right. me. Um, and but she's just telling the story of how it is, and right. it is what it is. It's exactly, exactly what it stands for. Right, and and we'll we'll get into it later because I think Nia DaCosta knew that was going to happen from a line that we have in this movie, and I'll I'll uh, point that out later. Okay. Cut to Troy and Grady leaving. Troy's shouting at for Anthony to get painting because his sister isn't going to pick up after him forever. I was like, damn, that joke kind of hurts. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> like damn, uh, okay. That, that would have offended the fuck out of me. I'd be like, what the fuck you mean about that? Like, Your brother's an asshole. Yeah, like, yo, I don't want him over here again. Like, <laughs> Anthony comments that he's right. As they're getting ready for bed, Bree mentions that she's glad that Troy is dating uh, dating someone normal, joking that she was getting exhausted trying to keep up with European fashion designers. She calls out to Anthony, who's on his phone. He asks what, uh, what time is Clive coming tomorrow. Uh, she answers 10 a.m., asking if he's uh, feeling good about what he has, what he's showing. He thinks that he that there is some stuff that Clive might enjoy, and obviously homage to Clive Barker. I fucking hated this character. <laughs> I hated this dude. I was like, oh man, from why the they very have to beginning, name him Clive. Like, like, why couldn't it be someone? I don't know. I would have loved Burke to have been Clive or something. Like, I, I just I didn't want Clive to be Clive. I was just like, <laughs> oh, it hurts. Continuing, uh, continue to be glued to his screen. He lies down, Bree lying on top of him. He's surprised um, Troy was right about Helen <laughs> killing a dog. She takes his phone and moves it to the side, telling him that she's not trying to get creeped out in her new apartment. Right. He jokes that her apartment is ghost-proof and it being on Zillow, li- it, be- it being on the Zillow listing. She corrects him with their new apartment. The sound design also is incredible right here, too. That's Jesus so Christ. Uh, cut to Anthony looking at his work, Clive asking him who, who he is, commenting about his piece being Anthony McCoy from two years ago, and he wants his future self, mm. wanting the quote, unquote, the quote, great black hope of the Chicago art scene of tomorrow, end quote. <sighs> what a fucking sleaze. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> what a sleaze. He's one of those people, like right now as a character, he's trying to break through as someone who is like the woke artist. Well, unquote. he is appropriation. 
Yeah. Like, he is literally the definition of appropriation. And he is trying to bank off of black people, black success. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that very much was telling in, like, Jordan Peele's Get Out and things like that, right? Where you have this particular set of a person right. who is trying like, to... Let me use this black pain in the artistic yes. form to sell. Right. It's like, exactly. Uh, eh. Like, and okay. he, as he's saying with like something like this, like this was you two years ago. He was like, I want to see your future self. Dig in, and he says, dig into that history of yours. So yeah, yeah. that that thing right there, which also strikes a chord with me. Right. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> the um the being the um that being the person he gave a solo show to straight out of grad school. Anthony sits down as Clive continues shaming his work, not wanting to replace him for the summer show. Anthony mentions that he's working on something. Clive playfully punches him to dig into his history. Anthony continues that he's thinking of, think about doing something about the projects, explaining, of, explaining how white supremacy creates spaces of rampant neglect in communities of color. Clive is very intrigued, feeding into it, mentioning where Anthony is from. Anthony answers Bronzeville, but Clive thinks that it's overplayed being on the south side. Anthony suggests Cabrini hmm. Green. Clive and his assistants Jerrica are leaving are leaving with Bree. Bree reminds Anthony about dinner with his mom at seven. They leave at, uh, they leave and he gets gets to work on the history of Cabrini. Finding articles about Helen and her involvement in Cabrini Green. He prints he prints out some articles from nineteen ninety one, images of the newspaper version of Helen burning in the bonfire. Anthony leaves out of his apartment walking through the new development to um, to a painted over tr- church, which I hear is real. The I hear that that church was a really a part that. of Cabrini Green, and it yeah. was painted over, and it's still like that. Uh, or oh, no, it was a mural. Crazy. It was a mural that was painted on, it, and they painted it that. white. And a lot of people were upset about it. There's an article about it. I, 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 I obviously, so there I'm was not a mural from, on there, and they just painted. They it just white. painted over it. The city painted it white. Yeah, and that's it's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys can't see my face. That's disgusting. Yeah, like it, it, it's super yeah. fucked up. And the, and the mural That's was about like the history that was previously there from like a, I think from an artist who passed away. So it's it's not like they could just be like, sorry man, can you redo it? Like so I, if that's and true, I could that sucks. be wrong, but I do remember an article being presented about this. Right. Um, and I'll look it up probably for the post show, but yeah. He takes some pictures of it, a bee buzzing around his hand, trying to shoo it away. It stings him. He smacks it off his hand. The bee falls to the ground, swarmed by ants, consuming it. Love this. Also, great representation right there. Yes. This looks great. This looks great. The scene that gets swarmed by ants immediately. Yes. It's like anything it did wrong, you're getting swarmed immediately and getting eaten alive. It's crazy. It is absolutely nuts. Also, I want to add that I'm a huge fan of the big the ants in movies, like in Hereditary, how there's these large ass ants. Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> that's okay. Eating on her face, <laughs> and then this there's large ass ants on the ground. It's just like I'm, I'm a fan. I like I'm large big ants, ants. In, in, in the horror. You films. like glowing eyes and big ants. Yes, okay. I, I'm a fan. I like it. I like hearing the, their little critters crawl. <laughs> He's in a trance, snapping out of it as a car honks um, their horn in the area. He continues moving through the burned-down projects, hopping over a fence to get a better look, moving through the forgotten history as the landscape of Chicago is presented behind it. He heads inside an open project. Inside, he shines his flashlight on the graffiti wall, startled by someone moving outside the broken home. 
<laughs> when I first saw that, I was like, okay, I'm spooked. <laughs> that was that like, got okay, me. get out. That was, that was good. <laughs> Gaining his composure, he stares at a painting of a skeletal-like figure that resembles Sherman, or Daniel Robitaille, on the wall. He takes a picture of it before leaving out. While he's walking, he moves out of the way from police driving past. He's startled by a man named Burke, commenting um, that, they are, that they almost never, uh, they almost never came um, there back in the day unless it was to take someone in. Anthony approaches him, Burke continuing spouting the behavior of the police in the newly refurbished neighborhood, claiming that they are either keeping them keeping them safe or keeping them in. What a line. What a mm. line. Anthony asks if he's if he's lived there for a while. He mentions since hi, since the high rises have come, uh, come in. He introduces himself as William Burke. Anthony returning the, the intro with a handshake. He asks Burke if he needs a hand. Cuts to them entering in Burke's laundromat. Burke's uh, sighing that the more things change, the more they stay the same. I love Burke's character. I think his character character. is so phenomenal. Yeah. And I have a theory about him. Do you think he knows right off the bat? Say it again. That he knows right off the bat. About what? um, About Anthony? Anthony. I do. Converting. I think so too. I think, I don't think he knows that he's converting, but I think he knows anthony i think he knows who anthony is and i think he knows okay. anthony was the kid that was taken i can see that too um he's just been waiting for his return right because like if we truly think about it he says that he's lived there since bef- like since before the high rises tells the whole story 1977 yeah. he obviously was a young man at this point in 1991 right so he must have even known his mom right like, he's already witnessed stuff as a child too exactly. which we'll get to see later on too yeah so interesting Telling Anthony to ask white people around there um, about girl X, Dontrell Davis, they'll have blank stares. They head um, to the back of his o- the back in his office. Uh, excuse me. They head to the back of his office. Um, he continues that when one white woman dies in the hood, it is a story that lives on forever. Anthony mm. guesses it is a good story, asking it, um, if he could take notes. Burke hands him a pen. Anthony wondering uh, what could make someone snap like that. Burke shares that Helen was looking for Candyman, saying that she found him. Anthony is intrigued, asking, "What's Candyman?" I love that. Oh. fuck. <laughs> uh, this, this right here is all good right uh, this is great this is this is a great setup this is really getting us into the, the lore of like holy shit sure. Candyman's forgotten in this timeline like there the, you know he's not necessarily an urban or, well he is an urban legend but he's like a deep cut urban legend at right. this point only the locals that's been there know who exactly. he is or know not to say his name right right except for Burke which I, I tried counting how many times Burke says Candyman's name in this movie. He says it over five. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was I was trying to catch it. I was like, oh, I wonder if they like have him only say it five times in different scenes. Because right. he says Candyman's name in different scenes. Yeah. But yeah. Jump to a scene where Sherman Fields is, sta- is um, standing in the middle of a ground in Cabrini Green. Burke VOs that quote, for me... Candyman was a guy named Sherman Fields. He had a hook for a hand, neighborhood character. Used to stand there and hand out sweets when I was a kid, end quote. Now, this is interesting. Now, obviously, if we truly break this down with the black community and how it's also written with, like, mental illnesses and things like that, and and mental illnesses that aren't um, getting helped. Right. Right? So, in my opinion, Sherman had a mental illness. And he was just a guy who, for him, handing out candy was innocent. 
Right. And if you see that across the street and you're just like, yo, what the fuck? Who's this weird guy giving candy right. to random kids? Exactly. Yeah. Like, you would find that weird. Right. Um, but for him, he's like, this is my innocence. This is what I think is innocent. Right. And and it was. It and was that's why you can't even tell with the opening scene how he, like, approaches the kid. Right. It's with, like, innocence, too. It's like, yes. oh, he's, like, you're has scared, a smile. But it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm harmless. I'm just right. trying to give you some candy. Exactly. Where he doesn't even know how to act too much. Where, like, he's going to throw piece of candy out first right but yeah, yeah. just I to kind of get their attention and things like that yeah. Sherman turns around his hand out with candy Burke continues that one October a razor blade shows up in a little white girl's Halloween candy mm. the police around there looking for Sherman but he's gone but one day he saw him um, back to Burke as a child standing in the laundry room frozen in fear as Sherman comes out of the wall he mentions that he's been hiding in the walls um, William who I'm going to refer to as young Burke screams the police rush in Burke commenting that he um, that's when he saw the true face of fear. Mm. Jesus Christ. Heartbreaking. That breaks my heart. Yeah. God damn it. The police rush overhead. Um, they are both quiet. Sherman offering him some more candy from his hand with a smile. William takes it. Heading upstairs, the police are continuing to rush around in the hallway. He drops a piece of candy, the cop hearing it and opening the door. They usher him out of the stairwell, a, a bunch of cops swarming Sherman and beating him to death, a beast stuck buzzing behind a, the glass, a gunshot, and a scream. Jesus Christ. Back to the present, Anthony shaking his head as Burke tells him um, that more razor blades shows up uh, a couple of weeks later in Candy, proving that Sherman was actually innocent and harmless. But that not being the last they saw of him. Anthony's back in his studio, throwing down images of Sherman killed on his phone. He begins painting with a smirk, trailing his brush as it paints over an opaque Chicago skyline transitioning to night. He's still painting. Bree uh, comes back home on the phone speaking about um, Bradshaw dropping out of her show, telling them to fix it. Anthony is waiting for her to finish on the phone. She writes something down um, that they're relaying in French to her. She irritatedly hangs up. He asks what's up. Um, she mentions that she, he forgot about his mom. He apologizes. She pleads for him to call her. She sh he suggests that he will tomorrow. She reminds him that he said that yesterday. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> calling it nice that she wants to spend time with him and not everyone wants uh, not everyone has that and that is that also that is speaks fair. volumes to yeah. me that speaks so many volumes to me because it's just like that that was my childhood right there like I didn't I didn't have that like I you know my, my mom was estranged from me for over 20 years and we're still estranged in a way mm -hmm. so very interesting. He changes his tone, asking if she's okay. Bree telling him that she implied th um, that she gives him money um, so he won't visit her. <laughs> he slightly hugs her, um, joking that she's about the same. Closing her laptop, he excitedly tells her that he wants to show her something running upstairs to a studio. Downstairs, he shows her his graphic piece about Sherman being beat with white hands, or beat by white hands. Anthony shares the story about Sherman, his face beaten so badly that it was unrecognizable. That being where the story started. People seeing him around Cabrini, him coming to, to get them. He continues that over time, his name disappeared and his name becomes Candyman. He asks he ask her um, what she thinks. Brie honestly shares that it's a, it's a literal approach with no room for, for viewer interpretation. This is Nia DaCosta right here answering everybody who said that this movie is too woke. Yeah, it's like it's, this is the line she added for that specific right. reason. There's no, it's just in your face, right? It's and like, she, and yeah. that's pretty much what she's saying with this movie. She's like, like okay. this movie's literal, 
Yeah. Like, I don't want there to be viewer interpretation. Right. I want you to literally see what's what going I'm on. trying to show you. Yeah. And, and understand it and comprehend it. And exactly. I'm not hiding anything from you guys. Right. Like, I want you to see it all. Right. It's all surface level stuff. Right. And you know what's interesting? Um, this movie reminds me of the killing of Emmett Till. And you know who Emmett Till okay. is? Yeah, because they were talking about it in the behind the scenes. Okay. Um, so Emmett Till for it's those the same thing about like the face getting all messed up because yes. beat hard. Yeah. And sad. For those for those who don't know who Emmett Till is, um, very briefly, Emmett Till was a, a young black black kid who was visiting his cousins in the South. And while he was visiting his cousins in the South, he went to a store. He went to a convenience store. Poor old Emmett Till talked with a lisp. And sorry, I get a little choked up when I talk about him because it's just yeah, it's, his story has been a story that has been a cautionary tale for me ever since I was a child. Um, but he talked with the lists and he would sometimes whistle when he would talk. So when he was walking out, he whistled. There was a white woman who said that he was whistling and hitting on her. And uh, her cousins and brothers and boyfriend or whatever... Um, took him out of his family's home and dragged him and brutally tortured this boy. He was 14. And he was just a baby. But his mom said that, I want these people to see what they did to my son. And had an open casket. And had an open casket. There was no room for anybody to have any type of interpretation of what possibly happened to this child. They saw it. Right. You literally are seeing it in your face. <sighs> and it's th- it's something like that that I, I find very appreciative of this movie. Um, and that's why I like the literal approach a lot more upon my further watches. Um, because I, I find that to be a lot more impactful sometimes. Instead of me being a viewer who has to constantly theorize or make it up. Interpret on what's go. going on. Exactly. Yeah. Move from the symbolism of violence to the depiction of it. He acknowledges, then asks, how does it um, hit her? She comments that it is painful. Anthony feels connected to this, saying that he's never been this clear before. With a smile, he knows exactly what he's meant to be doing right now in this moment. She smiles that, she smiles that being great about she smiles that being great about to mention Clive he interrupts her saying that there's one more thing he shares the legend of saying Candyman Candyman's name five times while looking in the mirror he appears and he kills you trying to persuade her um, he thought they could summon him she jokingly but seriously chuckles telling him no (laughs) he looks at the reflection in front of him starting the chant Bree consistently telling him no and to stop it he gets to four turning her chair around toward the reflection claiming that he's not going to say it he says he says it the fifth time she playfully hits him anthony playfully telling her to stop she stops laughing asking what happened to his hand he answers that a beast uh, stung him and it hurt um he's like this shit hurt too (laughs) yeah like kiss it better he jokes for he jokes for her to kiss it she throws his hand down they share a kiss and cuddle um the reflection of sherman in the dark glass Cut to the art show, Anthony um, hanging outside for a moment uh, before heading in. He walks around a bit. A high school student named Haley is standing in the middle watching a video um, a video at the exhibit. I do find that video super interesting. Like with the... the oh, I see. Like, yeah. The black bars on black kids, the white bars on white kids. And I thought that was so intriguing. That was yeah. so, so intriguing to me. 
Um, she sighs, moving around the exhibit, stopping at the mirrors and looking down at, at the paper. It's saying, the, it's saying the name of the piece, quote unquote, say my name, with the instructions on summoning Candyman. She takes a picture of the mirror um, before he, before her mom tells her that uh, they can go now. She's ready to go. Bree um, is showcasing and speaking up Anthony's work and experience to a critic. Anthony passing by, giving her a pound as he as he goes up to another art critic named Finley. She notices mm. that his work is quite a departure from his previous work. He tells her to open the mirror cabinet. She does. More of his pieces hanging inside. He shares that he's trying to align the moments in the time that exist in the same place. She rolls her eyes and she isn't impressed as he continues speaking about the, the idea collaborate. Um, calibrating tragedy into a focused lineage that culminates into the now. I thought his fucking show was awesome. Yeah. I was just like, fucking art critics. Like, this looks great. Yeah. This looks awesome. I would have been blown away and be like, holy fuck, I have to like, open the mirror this? to actually see, see it? That's yeah. cool. Like, awesome. Clive grabs Brie, telling her to tell Anthony to not hog the critic. She sticks up for him, saying that he has he has his whole thing. Um, he mentions that he heard it, calling it complicated. What's complicated about it, my friend? Nothing. Yeah, yeah like nothing's complicated about it. Brie feels that she is interacting with the piece. Anthony continues speaking about his piece. Finley shuts the cabinet, sighing as, as she takes notes. Anthony tries covering his tracks, commenting that his uh, work speaks for itself. She agrees, mm. calling it cliche about the ambient violent of the gentrification cycle. Okay. <laughs> continuing that his his quote-unquote kind are the real pioneers of that cycle he's slightly offended she explains that artists descend upon disenfranchised neighborhoods for the cheap rents to pursue their work without the burden of a day job wow wow burn okay Fuck damn off. Okay. that was harsh yeah great all right she leaves him commenting that she's um going to get another drink Troy and Grady are standing in front of the mirror, Grady asking if they should try to summon Candyman. Troy doesn't want to, saying that black people don't need to be summoning shit. Grady calls it nonsense, <laughs> but enough. Troy rebuttals that this isn't the bayou, and in Chicago, that's white people shit. <laughs> Grady begins the chant, Troy telling him to stop, and they look back and wave at Anthony. Grady whispering a third time to Troy. Anthony is drinking a beer, walking up to his girlfriend Clive and Jerrica, um, speaking with an, a man named Jameson. Anthony hugs Bree, Jameson commenting that he loves his in interventionalist strategy, calling conventional um, paintings a drag, and that he loves that he hid his paintings in a storage room with the lights out, suggesting that being smart, Anthony is getting offended. Jameson asking if all his work is found, found material, questioning uh, where he found those paintings, joking from a thrift store in the desert. Clive and Jerrica hmm. giggle fucking assholes anthony drunkenly and irritatedly says that he found them in his studio where he painted them calling him a goofy ass fuck <laughs> i love that you goofy ass fuck <laughs> passing the insult along to along toward clive and jerica as well he calls them hyenas <laughs> Bree breaks it up ushering anthony out of the gallery clive firing back um that he wouldn't be there if it weren't for Bree. anthony gives him another sly remark about him needing to stock up on morning after pills for his summer intern Damn. program <laughs> this is why Bitch. I love y'all y'all <laughs> Brie continues trying to get him out, out of there Anthony tripping out, out the door Anthony is back at home in his studio Meanwhile Clive is closing up the gallery for the night Upset with Brie not being able to control Anthony Complaining that she made a mistake shoehorning Anthony into his summer show Jerrica correcting him by saying her only mistake I'm like who are you? Yeah, where'd who, you come who from? Who the fuck are you? Like what? <laughs> 
He continues that she's done and to not mix curation with someone you're in a relationship with. He says mm. fucking, but hey. Um, but this whole scene right here, gorgeous. To look at? Yeah. Oh my God, the black the blues and, blues and the reds. And the reds. And it's just, Jesus Christ. Well, even like before when they were going through the gallery, there's some great tracking shots. Beautiful. And it's like, wow, this cinematography is great. And the set design is really good too. It's fantastic. She asked Clive, what do you say five times in the mirror? He throws the question back at her since she proofread the press release. But he says the name Candyman, asking her not to say it until um, they have sex first because he doesn't want her to die. Right, and then he makes some weird joke about necrophilia. Very gross joke. She essentially says that um, he's no good for her. Clive changing his his mind, making a necrophilia joke. You're gross, Clive. You're real gross. Uh, she takes off her shoes, clipping her belt to his, telling her that they uh, should they should do it um, there while kissing him. Anthony continues looking at himself in the mirror while while sketching, and the other two are getting all freaky deaky while Jericho says Candyman in the mirror. <laughs> Anthony continues stretch, uh, sketching a self portrait, but he turns his attention to a bee that's stuck on that's stuck on the inside of a mirror. I Back with Clive, and oh yeah, it's so nice. The way it looks, Such it's a nice so touch. good. Because it's like you're looking at the mirror forward with the camera, and you see the bee, which looks like it's right in front of him, but it's like not. Yes. And when he when touches, it touches the mirror, the glass, it's so I was great. like, damn, that's brilliant. It's such a great touch. Yeah. Such a great touch. Back with Clive and Jerrica, both looking at each other, her commenting that there's nothing. Clive mimics disappo- uh, disappointments while Cl- Candyman appears in the reflection, slashing Jerrica's neck while he's kissing the back of it. He doesn't notice right away, continuing to kiss her until she falls to the ground. What a scene, man. And it looks brutal. It looks greatly brutal. This looks like, awesome. The practical effects of her neck. Uh, no, it's the, fucking A little great. close up. I was like, damn. Yeah, in her gasping. He lifts her up, not sure if this is real as she gurgles and gasps. Is this real? Is this real? Blood gushing from her neck. A deep groaning sigh from across the room. Candyman's reflection in another art piece with its arms stretched out just like Tony Todd in 1992 when he first met Helen. Oh my fucking God. I melt. This scene is actually very strong. I swoon. This scene is just so amazing. God Great use of mirrors. It's it's amazing. Bees are buzzing as he slashes through the screen. I Mm. love his little jerking motion when he slashes through the screen. It, it, it it's so nice it's like a and then he just starts right. sliding it's so good i love it i love it amazing clive looks at the screen noticing that the ripping noticing that it is ripping but nobody is there looking back at the back at the reflection candyman continues passing his hook through Ugh. it blood dripping from the initial puncture room of uh, the initial puncture on the tear on the screen the raspy gas continues <gasps> He tries unhooking from Jerrica's belt as quickly as possible, and this is where that stupid fucking Jurassic Park joke comes in. Don't like this. I really don't like the way his character is out of place. It's very it's corny. It's very out of place. It's really corny. And I it's honestly like, fuck. I, Gotta I, go fast. Must I don't go faster. Like his acting here yeah. as well. Like I don't feel I, this doesn't feel believable when he like him. Yeah, but it still looks great. It looks awesome. Yeah, no, this still looks great, but he doesn't feel believable. Well, thank God he got the hook. 
Uh, what the hook gonna be? Acting Uh-oh, jokes. Candyman yeah. gonna hook on his beat. <laughs> <laughs> Candyman standing in front of him with his arms stretched out in the reflection. He he unhooks, running for a locked door. Candyman floating through the reflections uh, toward him. I do love the floating. The floating is cool. I, I mean, do love that they, they allow him to float a lot more than in 1992 because we only yeah. got like one floating scene in that. Um, slicing his heel and dragging back toward Jerrica as Clive screams. He picks Clive up by the neck. Clive um, looking at himself in the mirror as blood escapes from his body. <sighs> I love the imprint too on his neck. Like when yeah. he's not in the reflection of the mirror and the imprint the imprintation on his neck, you can see the handprints pushing down on his neck. That's how I picture it is for like, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Darth Vader. Darth Vader? <laughs> when he's like choking people <laughs> and stuff no, like that? I just picture like the imprints. Cut to the next morning, Anthony frantically taking a message from our sponsors. Just kidding. But he is being frantic because he's working on a large piece that looks like the original Candyman, Daniel Robitaille. Bri Bri heads inside the gallery. Anthony Sting is getting much worse by this point. Bri notices Clive's shoe, then his blood trail with bees buzzing around his body. Anthony is is watching the news about the killing, smirking at his name being said. Uh, I love that. <laughs> he, so turns dark. The, he turns the TV, the TV off, sharing his excitement about them saying his name and his piece's name. Um, Bree and Troy both shocked at his reaction. He makes up for it by thinking that, uh, it to be cool just to be mentioned. She gets up and leaves out of the room, Anthony trying to side with her um, that it is obviously awful. Now Knight flashes a Brianna's experience of finding Clive and her father. Her father is sitting on a window Windowsill as he as she approaches him as a little girl. He gets um, he bets that she didn't know he could fly. She shakes it. She shakes her head. He says that he can't. Jumping out of the window, we flash to Clive, um, mm. also sliced from the groin to his gullet. Now, two things to mention here. One is that a lot of folks have issues with this portion here. Not Clive, but her dad. Mm. They feel that it's shoehorned into the movie. And right. some people don't understand adding this little tidbit of this subplot and never revisiting it. Uh, that was a complaint of mine as well. But I have a theory. What if this is her Candyman? It could be, yeah. And like seeing her dad die, but also her dad was an artist. Right. Right. And maybe it's like, oh, this is happening all over again. Right. It's like someone that has like maybe some mental illness resurfacing or something like that exactly. it's like i don't want the same thing to happen to you what happened right. to my father and stuff yeah like that. and i and i it's to relate more of a character for her that's what i than think the too. actual situation itself because like i don't think we need a subplot on this um per se because right. I, I i do feel like this is enough like obviously something's happening right that is uh wrong Right. With him, right? So, because like, she's reliving a traumatic situation, seeing the bodies of her f- colleagues dead on the floor, reminding her of her father dying as well. Right. It's past trauma that's yeah. continued on and staying with her, which is a major theme of this movie. It's just Absolutely. trauma and death. and Yeah. yeah. And one thing that I also want to mention as well, a lot of people who, ha- who have listened to have covered this movie. No one has said this. Articles I've read. No one has said this. Not to say that no one, every single person hasn't said this, but the way Clive is sliced and open like that is the exact same way Bernadette was in the 1992 Candyman Mm. when she was found. Fucking 
magnificent. A beautiful way to pay homage to a very lame killing scene inside the 1992 version. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Brie wakes up from, from these nightmares breathing heavily as she looks in the corner. She sees a reflection of Candyman, looking into the darkness, seeing him with the raspy moans. She's, she's actually startled, awake this time, Anthony in a daze over the running sink. She calls out, she calls out to him. He doesn't answer. She goes to the bathroom, goes to the bathroom door, calling his, his name again. He's startled and snaps out of it, tr- uh, turning off the faucet, mentioning that he had a bad dream. She tells him that she did as well, asking him what was his dream about. He asks what, uh, what was what. She's confused as she reiterates it. He closes the door on her, claiming that he'll be out in a minute. <laughs> she calls out to him from the other side of the door. Anthony is, in the, is at the university library looking for information on Helen's thesis. The librarian is gathering all the files from Helen. She doesn't know um, what, it is, uh, what it is or how he even knew about it. She puts down a file and tape recorder, that being all um, they have on Helen. Uh, slightly flirtatious he claims that he didn't which is why he had to ask <laughs> she is mad thirsty like <laughs> yeah she is thirsting like she's just like oh, oh i dropped my oh, thing yeah. oh, let me pick it up <laughs> she's like are you a college student here or like oh he's gone. <laughs> and he just disappears yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she flirts back taking off her glasses he gives his thing she's giddy dropping something as she tells him um where she found it he leaves as she pops back up asking if he's a student anthony walks down the hall listening to helen's recording she states mm. quote some of the things that have happened in cabrini over the years violence just so extreme so bizarre it almost as it's almost as if violence became a ritual the worst part the residents are afraid to call the police a code of honor perhaps fear of the police themselves the easy the easy answer is always quote-unquote candy man did it the summoning game itself could be connected it's clear that no one person makes this up this grew from the community's collective subconscious End quote. While he's listening, th- while he's listening, he goes onto the elevator in case with reflection. He smirks as he enters inside. She continues, quote, "A survival tool evolved from the need to protect itself and its and its children from the horrors of the community." Bernadette and I tried the summoning. It's amazing how effective it can be. The suggestion that uh, you're being followed or stalked by something lurking in your own reflection. It's something intoxicating and luring about the promise of seeing a ghost. Fuck it. What is this? This is amazing. The elevator breaks down. (laughs) The elevator is one of my favorite scenes. I love this scene. Stopping on its uh, on its descent, he takes the earbuds out of his ears. Trying to hit the bottom floor or the alarm, the light flickers above him. Then a clattering of candy falls on the onto the floor. He picks it up, um, trying to uh, unwrap it, cutting his hand from the candy, um, from a blade being inside the candy. Carefully this time, he opens the wrapper, the blade exposed out of the candy. Blood um, falls from the ceiling on the floor and on his diseased hand. He looks at the ref- he looks he looks up to the reflection of Sherman's beaten face smiling back down at him. He flinches. The lights shut off and the glass and glass starts cracking and Sherman's raspy voice can be heard throughout the darkness. The elevator whirls, going back to the ground, the door opening, Anthony quickly getting up quickly as a group of students stare at him confused. This is great. So good. I and love this great scene. acting on uh, Yaya's part too. Oh, absolutely. You really see how terrified he is. Yes. And then another thing is like, damn, it's like the great set piece of this elevator being completely surrounded by mirrors and it looks like that infinity effect of like yes. it just goes on and on and on. You don't really see what's 
out there and it's really like Candyman. Yeah. I I've seen like some like I don't know ghost investigators or whatever on YouTube say that when mirrors are like that, I forgot what effect they call it, but supposedly um it's a portal. Two different like, dimensions or something? I, I guess. That's kind of cool. That is pretty cool, but <laughs> yeah. I have no idea anything about it. I've never looked any of that stuff up. It was weird because back in my childhood home, in my parents' room, they had a mirror at the back end of where their bed was, and they have a mirror in the front of the room too. So if you look at the mirror and you look behind it, it reflects off both mirrors, and it right. just looks like it's, it's going on and infinite. on and on. Yeah, That's It nuts. always creeped me out. And this, I, this movie did weird. not help. Like, like having my <laughs> memories come back, I was like, "Damn!" It's like, it is weird. Not gonna yeah. lie to you. Anthony continues his work as he conti- as he continues listening to Helen's recordings. His mom is calling him, but he doesn't answer it. He just keeps working and fidgeting with his hand. It getting much worse. The woman, uh, the two w- uh, women on the recording, sharing information of a. On a woman who died by a hook in Cabrini, saying that that Candyman killed her. His phone rings again. He answers it. By the way, that is the interview that Helen has in pretty much the beginning of the movie. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he tells Bree that he's going. He's going out. She reminds him that they have a dinner that uh, they're going. They're going to tonight. He mentions that he doesn't know how long he'll be. Bree, getting irritated, reminds him that Jack Hyde is coming from New York, mentioning that the, uh, that he never comes to Chicago. Ask him not to fuck this up for her. I would go. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> I would go. Got to him walking over the Dearborn State. Uh, street bridge, um, then walking down the halls of an apartment, different sounds of commotion in each room. Um, you know, it's funny because I've never noticed these noises before. This watch. Yeah. Like him going down the hallway. Him going like down the, the hallway side. and the different commotion that's happening in each house mm-hmm. or each apartment where it's like there's a man screaming, there's a baby crying, there's a TV on, and then there's people having a conversation. Yeah. It's so intriguing. Like I said, the sound design is very particular in what like yeah. you can hear from this movie. Absolutely. Like every candy drop on the ground, you hear it perfectly yes. and you're just like, damn, that gives me chills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dude, I had 3D audio turned on for this movie. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So good. Man. So this that shit was definitely a pleasantry from my ears. He t- he makes it to uh to apartment 3505. Very much appreciate that there wasn't a shining reference here. That's um true. ringing the doorbell. He's uh sitting down with a with the art critic Finley, she mentions that it's been a cu- crazy couple of weeks. He chuckles that that's putting it mildly. She shares that she is no longer writing a review, now a larger article that article that impacts both the works and the circumstances around the murders. He grabs his drink. She asks uh, to grab a few quotes for him. He suggests um, he suggests that he doesn't know anything. She ignores it, calling his work macabre, finding that interesting considering what happened. He claims that it's just a coincidence. She isn't saying he's at fault, joking that she's al- also not saying a ghost killed them. She clarifies that his work seems eternal. I love that. He smiles at the word. He's sharing that he's expanding uh, the work into a series, hoping to do a solo show all about Candyman, asking her to spread the word. Once again, fan-fucking-tastic. This is exactly what Candyman wants, right? Right. He wants to be constantly remembered. Say his name. Not forgotten. Say his name. Exactly. So good. She uh, loves the idea. Writing it down, he's surprised that she's more positive about his piece now. Finley claiming that it grew on her, he comments that it seemed um, like she didn't she didn't get it. 
but she believes she did, exemplifying um, it being the hood and gentrification. Anthony cuts her off, seeking understanding with artists gentrifying the hood, asking her um, who does she think makes the hood. He educates her that the city cuts off a community, waiting for it to die. Then they invite developers in to bring in artists, young people, and who are preferably white, promising to bring them a Whole Foods if they stick it out for a couple of years. She continues writing. He asks if she if she wants to really be a part of the story. That's also really interesting that he says about that because, like, I see that going on in my neighborhood right now. Yeah. Like they're building a brand new park in my neighborhood where they're really selling kayaking as a kayaking as a Damn. yeah as a pastime and i'm just like black people don't kayak <laughs> like like, uh, like i don't care like like black people don't kayak so like i know they're like not catering this to my demographic here right um and it, it's funny because like my uh in-laws were like like oh my gosh we could teach ellie to kayak i'm like won't be me like i'm like, not I'm getting good. in the bay water i'm fine like I'm no thanks that yeah. radioactive water i'm good um <laughs> she is i mean it's on a navy yard that's true yeah. so like that that water is probably no bueno she is about to answer but uh he continues in order for her to uh, for her to get it, she should say his name. She chuckles at the idea, closing the notebook, and going to the bathroom. He dares her to say it, I love smirking line. as she doesn't say anything and just leaves to the bathroom. The way he says, I dare you. Yeah, he's like, I dare you. so good. And the way he looks at her, he's like, I dare you. Yeah. And Oh, man, it's creepy. It's a better time than ever. <laughs> Finley is looking at herself in the mirror with a smile. She's about to begin the chant. Meanwhile, Bree is, is on the subway heading to dinner. Anthony is still seated, looking back for Finley. Picking at his sting, he peels off a piece of his skin back. Ugh. The body horror in this movie is just magnificent. Disgusting, but great. Yes. Yeah. It's so gross. And we, it uh, looks real. It looks, it looks really real. real, and that's what's real. very disturbing about it. It looks very real. looks gross. Very much reminds me of Cronenberg and The Fly. Um, and it's, it's disgusting. But and I know Nia DaCosta took a lot of notes from, from Cronenberg the and the Fly, yeah. um, so I, you see it, you see it for sure. Like I would have loved for like uh, David Cronenberg or Brandon to to like be like a consultant on this or something. But uh, there's obviously no need for him. But still, like uh, that would have also been really cool. Realizing that he's hurting himself, he stops looking for something to wrap his hand with. He finds a cloth and goes checking on Finley coming across. Uh, coming across a mirror. He gets closer, checking his reflection, looking behind him when he notices the lights in the bathroom are off in the reflection. He looks back in the he he looks back in the mirror, the lights on, and a reflection of someone standing there. Um looking back again, no one there. But when he turns back to, uh, to his reflection, he was replaced with Sherman in the mirror. He cowers, Sherman doing the same. Anthony is intrigued, looking even closer, Sherman reflecting his movements, looking down in shock and disgust at the, at the hook jammed in the stub of Sherman's arm. He tries to have Sherman touch his face, but backs away in fear. Heavy breaths as he stares at Sherman, raising his hand, but then um, startled by Finley. I think he jumps back because I think he actually feels... The, uh, the hook on his face. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think so that's too. why he jumps back. And we get those great bees also smacking oh into the mirror. The way it, inside is It ah, sounds so good. like a light is flickering, but it's right. the bees hitting the glass. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. Sound design, man. That's so good. So good. She asks if he's all right as she stares at him in, um, from the bathroom. He looks back in the mirror, Sherman standing right behind, behind her in the doorway. Anthony is about to say something, but looks back at her in horror. Quickly saying, 
that he has to go running out of her apartment. Damn, no warning, nothing. Just like, bye. Bye, bitch. The camera zooming out from the outside with one of the best fucking camera tricks ever in this movie. Finley being picked up and smashed on the window as the camera pans outward, mimicking the brush strokes that we saw earlier (laughs) from Anthony. What a fucking genius move here. Terrifying death. Oh my gosh, it's magnificent. And she just drops. Just drops to the ground. Anthony is sitting at the dinner table in a daze, picking at his hand. One of the dinner guests telling him to be careful. She's like, what are you doing? Stop. (laughs) First of all, that's gross. I'm sitting right next to you. Secondly, ill. (laughs) Third... Yeah, that yeah. looks it horrible. Looks nasty as fuck. It's gross. It's not. It looks you, like you it look at her smells. face, and she's like, "Oh, uh, she's no. like, careful, like, yeah. please stop whatever you're doing." I love how he just glares at her, though. Yeah, like, who the fuck are you? I'm like, he's like what zoned I'm doing. out. He's he's completely out. Like he's gone. He glares at her as he continues picking it. Bree sharing the same stare toward him from across the table, just complete daggers at this man. Jack mentions that he loves being being there, call, um, calling it uh, provincial, yet exciting. Mm. I didn't know what provincial yeah, meant, I like that so word. I looked it up. And what it means is, I'm bringing it up right now, of concerning a province of a country or empire, or of a concerning the regions outside the capital city, especially when regarding to unsophisticated or narrow-minded people. Huh. So you like the word. I was like, bro, you so you like you uh say in Chicago is full of just dumb people. Dumb people and, and yet it's exciting for you? Cool. Got it. He asked Bree if he's if she's met Danielle Harrington, the chief, but Bree finishes it for him. She's like, I know exactly who this is, this is exactly who I want to see. I want to talk to her. Fuck you, Jack. You were just here for her. <laughs> this was a ploy. Bree finishes um Finishes the forum, shocked that they haven't met yet. Danielle commenting that she's been eager to meet her. Jack tells her not to start, and uh, and he and he gets first dibs, mentioning that Clive literally had to die just so she could be set free. Ugh. Damn, that's like a dog-eat-dog world and curation of art. Didn't know it was like that, but okay, that's eye-opening. He apologizes, then mentions that Jameson is doing a show at, the, at his gallery in New York, thinking thinking it to be a good idea for her to spread out a bit more, wanting her to come to New York. You know what this dinner scene very much reminds me of as well? This dinner scene reminds me of Candyman 1992 when Helen Helen and um, Bernadette are sitting at the dinner table with Helen's husband and Helen's professor. Okay. And it's kind of like this same kind of mockery as right. they explain Candyman and her assignment of doing this work on Cabrini Green, it kind of has this I can same see that kind similarities. of mockery here. Yeah, so I, I really like, like how the that. topic is being treated. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Danielle entices her further, having the ability to introduce her um, to the to the women of Entry Nua, Entry New. I don't know. Um, if she decided on New York, Bree thanks them both, mentioning that she is, has considered going going out on her own. Danielle asks if she could actually, uh, if she would actually like to work with artists instead of chasing invoices, adding mm. that she can change the institution from the inside, offering her to come by the museum. Bree acknowledges. Everyone at the table phone. Uh, 
everyone at the table's phones are buzzing and chiming, Jameson mentioning that Finley was found dead in her apartment, Danielle adding that her husband found her, Anthony getting visibly upset and nervous, Bree looks over at him, Anthony gets up from the table mentioning that he has to go, running out of the restaurant. You just made yourself look so, so fucking sus. suspicious, dude. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, and he runs out too. Yeah, he runs out like nobody knew people. where you were. Yeah. Like, that was weird. But hey, Anthony meets up with Burke at his laundromat, asking him, uh, what is he? Burke answers that, quote, Candyman isn't a he. Candyman is the whole damn hive. hive. Yeah. Great line. Quote. What a fantastic line. Like, this line is so chilling. And it's so powerful. And so relevant, yeah. Absolutely. Bree is looking for Anthony back at the at their apartment, shocked by the sight of his grotesque paintings. Anthony asks if there are others. Burke shares the names. Quote, Samuel Evans, run down during the White Housing riots of the 50s. End quote. Quote, uh, William Bell, lynched in the 20s. But the first one, where it all began, was in the 1890s. The, um, the story Helen found, the story of Daniel Robitaille. Burke shares the story of Robitaille, the scene switching to, to paper puppets. He made a, he made a good living to, uh, touring the country, painting portraits for wealthy, wealthy mostly white families. And I, I just I find it so interesting that like Anthony picks up painting as well. Yeah. Because he was always a mark for Candyman. Right. Candyman always wanted him. They loved him. He leans in explaining that, quote, they love what we make, but not us. End quote. Mm. He continues that he was commissioned to paint the, the daughter of a Chicago factory owner. Robitaille committed the ultimate sin of his time, falling in love and having an affair with a woman, uh, having an affair with a woman, getting her pregnant. She tells her father and he hires uh, some men to hunt Robitaille down, telling them to get creative. They chase, they chase him through Cabrini Green during the day. He collapses near the old tower in, on, in Chestnut. Um... He he collapses near the old tower in Chestnut, where that used to be, beating and torturing him, cutting off his hand, hmm. jamming a meat hook into the stump, then smeared honeycombs from the nearby hives on his chest, just so he can get stung by bees. Jesus fucking What a Christ. fucking brutal way to go. A crowd formed around him, watching, then setting him on fire, finally killing him. Burke comments that, that a story in pain like that lasts forever, that being Candyman. This whole thing is fucking shocking, but and horrifying to listen to. And obviously, shit like this happened. Um, right. But my grandmother used to share stories with me about, because um, she lived in Louisiana um, for a few years. Uh, actually, she was born in Louisiana. And she was born in the 1930s. And she remembers hearing lynchings and she lived by the swamp and um when she lived there when she was a a little girl she didn't understand why people were screaming she didn't understand why people were yelling um and it wasn't until she was older when she realized Realized the horrors of what she witnessed like that was lynchings like i literally could hear people lynchings and that was the initial reason why we made the great migration um my great-grandmother ended up coming to San Francisco in the 1940s, mid-1940s, during World War II. Um, and when she came here, she worked on the uh, Navy shipyards, actually where I live currently. Um, and when she was working on the Navy shipyards, um, once the war was done, she became a janitor. 
And when she became a janitor, she funded enough money to bring her kids because she had to come by herself. This is during Damn. the Great Depression and World War II, right? Yeah. So she had to come by herself. So I'm I'm a second generation San Franciscan in a way. So like uh, all because of the Great Migration. So for my grandmother, when she finally came here, she never saw a working toilet. Like this was the first time she saw a working toilet before. Um, and Shit. she's never she never ex- existed in the same place as white people until she came here. And that was so shocking for her, like a culture shock where right. she, her neighbors were white and eventually they all moved and that's how it turned into the hood. But that, that was her experience and it was, it's so fascinating, but um, not to toot my family's horn here, but uh, my gra- my great grandmother, she bought seven houses in San Francisco Damn. With a janitorial salary, we have all seven of those houses still to this day That's in our family's wild. name. I yeah. love that. Yeah. So um, it's pretty cool. To her. Yeah. 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 Pretty cool. Like she, she, she grinded. Oh, yeah. She definitely grinded for sure. Um, and th- her friend told her to buy houses in Napa. He did. He bought houses in Napa thinking it was going to be a big boom because of the vineyards and things like that. She said no. She bought SF. houses in San Francisco. Her houses wow, wow, are, wow. are valued in the millions now, yeah. and it's just it's still in our family's name, so it's pretty fucking insane. Anthony is is at a loss of words. I, I would never be able to live here if it weren't for my family. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Anthony is at a loss for words. Shocked that he's real. Burke shouts that Bell, Samuel Sherman, and Daniel Robitaille are all real. Candyman is how we deal with the fact that these things are still happening. He tells Anthony to get some rest, claiming that he'll feel better in the morning. Cut to Bree walking around the studio looking at the art closer. Anthony startles her, shouting for her not to look at those. She asks, What the fuck is all of this? It's like, What the fuck is all of this? Like, I just great question. Like, it it's interesting because like they are so morbid and they're so uh I really hope that these paintings are like donated to a museum or something. Yeah, as they like, should. Jesus Christ, these are so gorgeous. And it's crazy that they made these art pieces for this movie. Yeah. And rightfully so. And I wonder like, if they actually hired someone to like make this. They did. Yeah. They did. They hired six different artists. Wow. Um, and they they actually even thanked them at the end of the movie. Oh, shit. I yeah, they, they thank all of, all of the artists who were a part of the movie. And even the art at the art gallery, they turned it into a real art gallery for the movie. And people can actually go and see their work. In Chicago, right? So fucking cool. He mentions again that she uh, she shouldn't be looking at those. Rapidly grabbing a cloth and covering them, or trying to cover them. He misses. Uh, she yells that they're um, beyond sensitive artist bullshit. Asking what is it, what is going on. He hesitates, stuttering that he thinks he made a mistake. She doesn't understand. He continues that he thinks he brought him back. She still doesn't understand who he's talking about. He begins to cry, and she realizes that he's probably talking about Candyman. Trying to explain that Burke told him, she asks, who is that? And she's like, who's Burke? Who are you talking? What is happening? Yeah, like, what, <laughs> what is, is going, going on, on with you? <laughs> and that's where she's, like, really freaking out because, it's like, you feel like you're going mentally ill on me. Right. And I've seen that happen to my father. And that's where it's like, this is real. Right. I'm real. Yes. that conversation. And I think that's why that scene was really more important too for her Absolutely. as a character. Absolutely. Yeah. He quickly explains that he's from the laundromat and he knows about all of, all of this. She doesn't understand what Burke knows. He tells her Candyman. She irritatedly smiles that Candyman isn't real. Anthony yells um, that he saw this. He saw him, but 
she uh, she gets stern that he that he isn't real, telling him that she is real, but he thinks um, he thinks that she doesn't understand. Trying to have um trying to have him come to a census, she goes up to the mirror about to say Candyman. Anthony throws something at the mirror, breaking it and slamming another mirror to the ground. Bree runs toward the door, Anthony huffing for her not to say his name. Scared, she tells him to stay there and not to not follow her. She runs out of the studio. This was... I, I, I feel her. Like, I, I feel her. Like, this is, uh, this is scary. Like, seeing yeah. someone have, like... A moment like this and you don't know and you see a lot of aggression coming out of this yeah. person that you love and care about that's never shown this side exactly. of him it's terrifying it's scary Bree is on her brother's couch troy getting worked up about anthony's manic behavior Bree explains that he he said he summoned Candyman. troy cutting her off exclaiming that Candyman isn't real clapping his hands i mean he definitely said another word in there I could say it, but I'm not gonna say it. He continues giving Bree. Um, he continues giving Bree, quote unquote, "I told you so's." Um, she is she's over it, but Troy uses Grady as an example. Grady's um, siding with Troy. Grady hands a, hands Bree a blunt before leaving out of the room. I mean, shouts out. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was fucking dope. But it was funny. I like, like Grady. <laughs> I like Grady in the moment when he's rolling up the blunt and he was like, "Y'all need me to stump." I'll stump. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck with so you. All right. You're right down, on. bro. You're a good brother. I, yeah. I, I get you. Troy shares that he spoke uh, He spoke with her uh, with their mom wanting to close the storage unit out. And they have to uh, deal with their father's art. Thinking that they are, they could either sell or keep it. She doesn't want anything. She doesn't want any of it in her house. Troy wants her to either sell it or do a show. Bree doesn't want to do a show on the thing that killed him. He mm. tells her to not hide everything in hopes that that it will go away. Adding that she doesn't have to be be there every time a tortured artist has a psychotic break. She drops her smile. He apologizes, sharing his sentiment of of him um, being happy that she's there, allowing her to stay as long as she wants, as long as she doesn't try to summon Candyman. She wonders who would do that. Cut to high school student, um, (laughs) the high school girl who was at uh, the gallery, Haley, walking to the bathroom. She meets up with her friends in the bathroom, putting on some lipstick and then drawing on two dots on a mirror, proceeding to kiss it as her friends huddled to watch a video about some girl named Trina. Don't kiss the mirror in a fucking public bathroom. Yeah. That was disgusting. You can die from that. Yes. You can die from that. It's called the Rona. That's true, too. (laughs) Come on. Uh, Haley cuts them off, um, asking if they've heard of Candyman. Jump to the girls all standing next to one one of each other, staring at the mirror. One of the girls, Boof. That's a great name. Name is Boof. Doesn't want to do it. Haley convincing her to do it, and she tells her like not to be a pussy. And she has a great comeback. She's like, "Why? They're sweet and warm, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like they're delicate and warm." I don't remember. But uh, she sta- she stays, starting it off. Haley telling her that they all need to do it um, together. They all begin the chant. On the third Candyman, the windows of the bathroom open on its own. One of the girls says, "Fuck it," uh, or "Fuck this," and gets out of there. And you know what's interesting? Good for her. The girl who leaves. She's a minority. So one thing that I've noticed is that technically Candyman in this movie only kills two black people, but we never we ne- we don't see it. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. And other than that, that that's it. <laughs> like, huh. like, yeah, like and uh, like minorities don't die really in this movie. I thought that was very fascinating because uh, she was Asian. Yeah. 
So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Haley, t- Haley tells uh, the rest of them to uh, two more times. They continue finishing the chance. Boof commenting that they're still alive. The girl that they are uh, making fun of, of the girl that they were making fun of on the video, Trina, comes barging in. They are startled, but realizes who it is, making fun of her from being hungover as she proceeds to go inside of a stall. Each girl kicking it as they are on their way out. Bitches. Uh, Trina puts her headphones on, drowning them out. Haley tries for the door, but it is locked, blaming it on Trina as well. One of the girls, um, Anika, um, is looking at herself in a pocket mirror, raspy voices from behind her, and bees buzz in the large mirror. She slams the pocket mirror, trying to get her friend's attention. Boof running back to get her vape. Anika tries to tell tell her not not to get it. A loud thud and Boof's and Boof's stuff ends up on the ground, accompanied with cracking noises. Jesus, this sounds great. Anika and her other friend Celine drops to the ground to see blood co- come pooling from the counter of off the sink. Haley goes around the corner. Um, the two trying to tell her to stop Trina hears a commotion through her headphones mm. pulling them off hearing screams and banging Anika's pocket pocket mirror drops to the ground showing w- uh, some of the carnage oh, this is amazing I personally really like this scene um, are you are you pointing at the squelching? Yeah, the oh yeah, squelching, squelching. <laughs> noises yeah, squelching <laughs> inside the right. captions um Oh, squelching. It is such an interesting moment. I know some folks who didn't really like this part thought it was kind of like placed in the movie to just be placed in the movie for... Horsing for horsing's sake. Right. And I was just like, yeah, but I don't mind it. Yeah, yeah. If (laughs) if anything's like, I want to see more of it, why why is the camera going away from these hills, you know? (laughs) I definitely agree, but I don't mind it. Like, I think the scene is fucking awesome. (laughs) It's so good. Like this, but I can understand how people are just like, this is the scene that kind of feels like, like, oh shit, I forgot I'm making a slasher movie kind of thing, but yeah, whatever. I like it. I Maybe like the more floating fan service for horror yeah. fans. And it worked for me. Yeah. It worked for me. I it loved was the definitely, I loved it. I love the crawling and then how you can see them floating towards her. It's yeah. fucking awesome. This is great. I love this whole thing. I, there, there's nothing wrong with it for me. Back with Anthony, um, waking up on the floor of his studio. He grunts in pain, pulling a shard of of the mirror out of his hand, noticing that the uh, diseased sting has moved up his arms and his fingers, his nails sliding off with ease. Gross. Um, a straining gasp as he removes his nail. Bree is at the museum with Danielle, standing in front of an exhibit that has a neon sign that says, quote, you're obviously in the wrong place, end quote. I think this is a real exhibit. I think so too because I've seen this I've neon seen sign this, before. Yeah, I think it's Virgil Abloh's oh. exhibit from Off White. Well, yeah, rest I, in peace, Virgil Abloh. Did he die? He just passed away like two days ago. No fucking yeah. way! Like I had no week. idea. Yeah. Really? From cancer? From cancer? Yeah. Shit. And just to put context, we're, we're yeah, like yeah, we're, said, recording we're recording this. in twenty twenty one. Yeah, in twenty twenty one. But yeah, he passed away like a week ago. Shit. Yeah. That's nuts. Man, rip. But yeah, I think, this was, I think this was his piece. Damn. Yeah. Fuck, he was magnificent. He was. He was magnificent. He he was like That's going name, to like, be say the... That's the name, you'll, you'll remember him. Oh, for sure. He's for good, he's like Basquad. Like he's, yeah. his name's going to be there forever. Wow, man. 
Danielle shares that, that uh, they've been trying to accomplish the past few years. Bree mentions the shift in, pro- in programming since uh, she's gotten there. Danielle hopes for the best. Happy to finally uh, meet her at, at Jack's uh at Jack's dinner, Bree shares the same sentiment. Danielle cuts her off, talking about Clive and hearing how Bree discovered the bodies. And it's fucked up because, like, everybody just wants to hear about that from her. And she's like, right. fuck, dude, I just want to talk business. Right. Like, I'm just trying to grow, man. Claiming that she has emerged as an interesting figure amidst all of this. Talking about how brave Bree was for putting on a show that embraces formal uh, formlessness. Bree cuts her off, commenting that uh, there there were a lot of different figures there um, that were part of the show, trying to talk up someone else's work and their inspirations. Danielle agrees, but explains that uh, that with the recent tragedies and her father's legacy, she has a fascinating story. Then compliments her eye for emerging talent, wondering how long she's worked with Anthony. Bree shares that she's been working with him for a couple of years. Danielle comments that her board members are buzzing about his work. That's mm. another thing about this movie that I really enjoy is that they use like a lot of words that fall in line with, with like Candyman's like aesthetic. Not necessarily like, Candyman's buzzing, aesthetic, but bees. just with bees. Yeah, like w- they like buzzing, and we hear someone say for the cops, "Swarm, the swarm right. is here," or something like that. I, I they swarmed him or something like, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Wanting to talk about. The, uh, wanted to talk about uh, a project room show. Bree isn't pleased b- about uh, where the conversation is headed. Meanwhile, Anthony is in the hospital, sitting on the bed, listening to the news on TV. On the TV, the reporter reporting the murders at the Colin College Prep um, School. Police finding a link to the Art World ner- murders behind Anthony's piece. Say my name. <laughs> He's like, oh shit. <laughs> which were which were written in the victim's blood Ugh. on the bathroom wall. I wish we could have seen it. Like Me too. Bit. Come on. Me too. Show. Me too. He's shocked and stunned by this news. The doctor enters the room, welcoming him back. He doesn't understand. She mentions that uh, she saw his she saw on his file that he was born there. He tells her that he was born on the south side. She looks back at the file, confirming mm-hmm. that he was in fact born there. In indistinct whispering in his head, drowning out the doctor's requ- uh, requirement for testing, transitioning to him walking uh, through a glass hallway dome as the so cool. rain patters. On the top and the sides of it. This is Another great. great tracking shot. So fantastic. He's moving so fast. So eerie, too. Yeah. It's a great look. It, it is. The it parallels. looks almost sci-fi. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. Like this, this is a great shot. Anthony goes to goes to his mom's house and knocking on her door. She opens it, surprised, asking him where he's where he's been. Vanessa Williams looks fantastic. Yeah. I what just looked up, uh, she's like born in 1962 and yes. she still looks like that. Yes. What the fuck? She looks, I was the, like, she looks exactly the same in it, the original Candyman. Yeah. I was, I was like thinking about it, rewatching it today. I was like, she doesn't even look that much older than him. No. But she is. She by is. By a lot. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. You look good. You know what's also really, really she's great like in her 60s. about Almost this about to be in her is 60s. that um, the movie came out in 92. Yeah. Which was almost thirty years, and this is supposed to be thirty years. Thirty years, in the yeah. Future. So good, so good. It's crazy. I love it. Um, he sits down in her living room. She asks. She asks him about what uh, what happened to his uh, to his hand, or yeah, to his hand, commenting that it looks bad. Ignoring the question, he tells her um, that he went to River North Memorial, telling her that they fixed him up. Mm, damn. I do also want to mention that his like his appearance. 
like the it's gotten worse. wounds. Yes, it's gotten worse. It's like traveled to his face, but it looks like honeycombs. Yeah. Not the cereal. <laughs> no, no, yes. like, like the beehive. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's that thing that David has? Yeah, he hates. He would yeah, hate this movie. He would fucking despise this. Oh, this is well, literally up his alley his of no. <laughs> yeah, well, I forgot what it's called. It starts with a T, right? Tesla something. something. Tesla phobia. Just doesn't like the like open pores or like, right. holes. Yeah, in bodies. like I know, like Midsummer was really tough for him. Oh, fuck, I wanted him to see this movie so bad because of this alone. She asks <laughs> if he's been painting. He chuckles that he has, commenting that he's been inspired a lot by about Capri- Cabrini. She tries to change the subject, asking him uh, if he wants some tea. But he continues sharing that he heard a story about a fire and a woman named Helen, mentioning that a baby was taken and something that they uh, used to call Candyman. She shushes him, telling him to not say that. He changes the subject, remembering that she uh, told him um, that he was born on the south side. She confirms that, she, that the, uh, she did raise him in the home that he remembers. But he was born in River North Memorial, spending his first two years in Cabrini. He asks why she lied. She claims it was for protection. He doesn't understand from what. She goes over, over to him, caressing his face, telling him that she wanted him to grow up happy and normal. She feels his skin rough and tattered. She frowns stops t- and stops touching him. He asks if he looks normal. She holds back tears as he tells her that he needs to know now. She nods her head, explaining that when he first got taken, she thought Helen was the one who did it. Anthony begins to cry, shooing his mother off of him. She sits back down, continuing to share. Continuing to share. She found Helen in, her, in their apartment, covered in blood, all of the residents thinking she was crazy, but it wasn't her. It was him. Images of the paper cutouts of Candyman with his exposed ribcage appears as Anne-Marie continues that he had a purpose for Anthony, choosing, choosing him to be one of his victims. Oh. Be my victim. I would have loved yeah. that to be in here, but this was good. This was good. so good, yeah. <laughs> Wanting him to burn in that fire, but Helen pulled, pulled him out and gave him back to Anne-Marie. She thought it ended that night, vowing to never say his name again, but someone broke the pact. Anthony completes that, quote-unquote, he found me. She apologizes. Anthony gets up and heads for the door. She tries to stop him with sobs, asking him to wait, but he leaves out. This was, this was great. Mm. She, like, fuck, she just, she's so good. She's I want to see her in everything. what she does. Like, goddamn. Even, like, the, the mannerism that she does was, like, when he says Candyman, she just, like, does, like, like the... No, no. Oh, the no. clapping. Yeah. Like, don't, don't say it's that. It's like, she knows, like, fuck that. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, like, she was 100% like that. Like, yeah, she just knew. Like, like stop. Like, stop. I That's know where you're going with okay. this. Just stop. Cut to <sighs> Anthony in the middle of the street in Cabrini. Flashes from the abandoned apartment accompanied by muffled bangs. He goes inside. Bree and Troy leave uh, his super nice fucking house. Wow. His house is, like, gorgeous when he was walking out of it. And I like that it said his name. On the like yeah. front of his house, I was like, "It's like that's ball." Wow, must ball. be nice. <laughs> that's so sick. one day. Uh, and he goes to Bree's house instead. Troy opens the door, calling out to Anthony to come out um, to where he can see him. Bree tells him to stop. He continues shouting that they are picking up her things and are leaving with them. He isn't there. Bree calling around to see where he is, but he um, he's nowhere to be found. Troy joking that Candyman probably got him. She doesn't find it funny. Looking down at, at the pen from uh, from Burks, she goes to the laundromat, sandwiched in between a hipster coffee shop and a yoga gym. I find that magnificently important. How it's just in between surrounding that. like new places or like that exactly yeah. disappearing history. Yeah, 
Like it's it's erasing history, and his thing is the only thing that's history uh, for that community that's left. Right. And also, want to point out the scalfling that's behind it, and the cranes, and the things like that of just more and more Con- just being yeah. built. Yeah. And it's just like even I look outside my window and I see all that shit. Yeah. It's crazy. It's nuts. I mean, it's it's good and bad at the same time. Like they're trying to clean it up, but like at what at what cost? Right. You know. She heads she heads in, in the back, knocking on the door for Burke. His uh, door opens. She heads inside, uh, calling for calling for someone. Uh, noticing Anthony's beanie on the on his desk, she calls for Anthony. No answer. She tries she tries one door. It is locked. She tries another door, and it opened into a basement. And she's like, "Nope." <laughs> she tries to leave out of the office. The door locked, banging to get the customer's attention. Burke c- comes up behind her and snatches her. Cut to William banging on her on his sister's door, wanting to play. She tells him no. He claims that he's not he's not scared anymore, threatening to pee on her bed if she doesn't let him in. She tells him to go away, commenting that uh, this this game is for grown-ups, calling him a baby. Slamming the door in his face, he goes back to his, his room. His sister and her friend chanting Candyman's name five times. Mm. William paces back and forth. Thudding comes from the bathroom. He is about to go, go into the bathroom. The bathroom bathed in blood as his sister lies dead on the floor. He looks in the mirror, Sherman smiling back at him with his raspy voice great back with burke staggered breathing saying that um they now have a witness and i like to shout out that like oh not there yet burke is inside the church frantically telling the telling the cops about anthony and where he is and i love the sweets for the sweet on the top oh there. yeah that's true yeah that is a great callback fantastic callback because that was it that was the main thing that was just that was what they said sweets for the sweet and it, and it's interesting because remember, if you remember correctly, people would gift Candyman candy sweets for the sweet. Mm. And in this, this is Burke's gift to Candyman, right? Sweets to keep the, the cycle keep going, to keep yeah. the cycle eternal. So amazing. Bree wakes up, looking around, tied to a chair. Burke turns around, Anthony sitting and facing a wall, sharing that he was baptized there, calling it beautiful. Not, hmm. not Anthony. Burke was. Uh, she calls. She calls out to Anthony. Burke laughing that he's he's um, on some other shit. He uses the <laughs> metaphor of something uh, leaving a stain, and you wash it out. It is somehow still there, and you fill it. Shouting that this neighborhood got caught in a loop, and the shit got stained in the exact same spot over and over until it rotted from the inside out. He continues that they tore down their homes so they couldn't move back in, chalking this up to them needing Candyman. He turns Anthony around, his face covered even further, his eye now cloudy. Bree is in shock as Burke continues his rant on this can- on on his rant on this time Candyman will kill their fathers, babies, sisters. He takes Anthony's shirt off, his body now a hive. Bur- um, Burke, Burke knew it was only a matter of time before the baby came back there. In perfect symmetry. A chance for Candyman to take back what is rightfully his, calling it, quote-unquote, his legend. Bree continues walking to, uh, working to get out of her restraints, while Burke grabs a saw, asking for Anthony's hand. He violently saws off Anthony's hand, Anthony not saying a word. <laughs> Burke so mentions wild. that you can make the story at your own, but some of the specifics should be somewhat um, the same. He opens a case with a meat hook inside, photo cutouts of Helen. He jams it into Anthony's stub, causing Anthony to shed a tear and moan in pain. 
Burke sets up a story, an artist who lost his mind, and the cops showed up and shot him down in cold blood without even saying a word. He screams to say his name if you dare. Say it five times and see what happens. When, when it is all done, they'll tell his story, and Candyman will live forever. He uh, pu- he puts the jacket over him. Bree gets gets out of her restraints. The police sirens blare as Burke whispers her, um, here comes the swarm. He pulls out two bladed lollipops, asking um, asking if he's ready for the sacrament. Bree runs down the stairs. Um, he, yells, uh, he yells, where is she going? Asking if she wants her sweet. <laughs> he's terrifying. Left with a squealing flesh in Anthony's groans. Oh, my God. This is amazing. His whole entire monologue is brilliant. Oh, absolutely. And the acting is very top tier. Oh, for sure. And for like sure. I said, he's a very terrifying character. Oh, absolutely. And I do believe that he um, was supposed to be the sacrifice. Right. Like, I do believe that Burke was supposed to be the sacrifice to kind of keep this going. Right. Downstairs, Brianna turns turns on the light off on her own, painting and running through the tunnels. Burke behind her, uh, behind her, asking her where she is going while singing. He sh- he turns off his flashlight and then attacks her. She's ca- she's able to to get out of his clutches, running outside, then back into one of the apartments. Burke continues chasing her, drawing his weapon. He looks around, thinking this to be a good place as any. Bree is behind him, about to hit him with the heavy object, but it is too heavy. She has to <laughs> drops drop it. it. Uh. Burke laughing, she pulls out the pen and proceeds to stab the living shit out of him through his eye. She went in, dude, nonstop. Anthony appearing behind her, commenting that she uh, he thinks he he's dead. <laughs> I do love this though, because she very much fell into the smart horror tropes, where all the things that we not we're not used to seeing as a horror trope. Right. She like dismantled that and was just like, nope, I'm no, gonna double tap. Yeah. I'm not gonna go downstairs in the dark, creepy area. I'm not like I'm not gonna say Candyman's name five times. Like smart characters. Like, she 100 is a very smart protagonist. Um, and I love the fact that this is technically her story, not Anthony's. That's true. In the way, yeah. like she's probably the main she's character. She's the main character to me. I yeah. think she is the main character, not the supporting. So, mm-hmm. just a food for thought. She is startled, holding the pin toward him as well. He calls out to her, slowly approaching her, her hand shaking as Anthony comes closer and falls to the ground. She catches him, pleading for him to get up. He gasps at his dying breath as, as she sobs and pleads for him to stay with her as she holds him. Outside, the cops swarm around them, filling the room with blue and red lights. She comments that they are going to get, uh, get him to a hospital. She yells that sh- um, she's in there. Um, they burst into the room, yelling for Anthony to put his hands up. The officer takes three shots at Anthony, not even given time for Bree to react, gasping and sobbing from, from the blackened blood of Anthony now dead on her lap. And it's crazy because she thought she got shot. Yeah. She feels herself, and she's like, like, Making sure she's I, good. Yeah, yeah. Did I get shot right now? And then she sees the blood on her hands, and it's just, oh my god! A black cop SUV pulls up. The officer asking uh, what's going, what's going on, as uh, three other officers forces Bree out of handcuffs. They reveal that they got two suspects. One's down. Uh, he demands to uh, get her, get her in the car. Another cop commenting that they didn't didn't know what to do. They place her inside. The conversation now indistinct as she slows down her breathing with the door closed. Officer Smith gets back into the driver's seat, looking at her uh, through the rearview mirror, commenting that it is very unfortunate that happened uh, what happened to Anthony in there. Continuing that they've been looking for him and they received a tip that he would be there, 
asking if she knows anything about that. She shakes her head. Smith continuing to, uh, w- uh, that whatever she tells them helps. Any cooperation is noted. Piecing the story about seeing Anthony coming after Officer Jones. She's shocked that they are forcing this narrative on her. She continues that Jones knew, or he continues that Jones knew um, what he did before, seeing his hook, and she was in danger, and he had no cho- no choice but to discharge his weapon. She's breathing heavily, looking around. Smith asks ask her if that sounds right, switching the narrative um, to her being an accomplice, holding the victims down as, as he cuts them up. He died coming out at at a cop. And she would go to jail for the rest of her life. This whole situation's fucked up. It is. This whole situation's fucked up. He asked her which story it is it. She asked if she can see herself in the mirror, telling telling him everything that um, he wants to know. He doesn't allow her to, but she claims that she would tell him whatever he wants. He turns the rearview mirror toward her. She begins whispering Candyman, it getting slightly louder on the fourth chant until the officer says it himself. She leans back in relief, the car door locking. An officer comes out of the building, neck slashed. He, he tries getting so out of the good. car. The other officers start firing at Anthony. He, um, and I know some people have an issue with this because of the whole Candyman lore. Like, mm. why didn't Candyman kill her? Or does, does it work that way? Like, can you complete someone else's chant? Um, and things like that. And I was just like, who the fuck cares? Right. Like, it's like, it's who, the point like, of, like, what's going on. Right. Like, who cares? Like, she did this because she knew Burke believed... In Candyman, and for that belief, I think this chant, this official five-time chant, was to wake up um, Anthony, Anthony as Candyman. Yes, and I think it, that's what it was. That it's was crazy the point because of this this has a lot of stuff with like you know there is like a hundred percent social commentary on this, right? Oh yeah, where Burke knew exactly like yeah when the cops come, they're just gonna shoot you. Yeah. They're not going to ask questions because uh-uh. this has happened. Right. It will continue to happen. Right. It's stuck in the cycle. We're stuck in that loop. Right. Because this is why Candyman needs to exist. This is why people have to remember his name for this to continue or like to stop happening, to stop the cycle. Right. His name needs to be remembered. Until proven innocent. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you just. And it's like, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to know. It's like, yeah, it played out exactly how Burke wanted it to play out. Right. And Absolutely. that's the thing that's wrong with what's. Like society, the yeah. system being broken. Absolutely, yeah. he's not affected. Slashing the officer's neck. Uh, um, another, another trying to get out of the car, but Smith, um, Smith can't open the door. He bangs on on Bree's door. Anthony slashing his neck, splattering <laughs> the blood on the on the window. Smith whispers, "Who are you?" Bees swarm around Anthony's head as he moves across the car, saying, "Quote, this is my fucking favorite line right here. I am the writing on the walls." I am the sweet smell of blood on the street, the buzz that echoes in the alleyways. They, sh- they will sh- say I shed innocent blood. You are far from innocent, but they'll say you were. That's all that matters. End quote. The bees swarm completely over his head, obscuring his face. Smith opens his eyes, breathing heavily as the doors to, to his car are now unlocked. He gets out of the car, leaving Bree. <laughs> um, he, her door opens she scoots out of the seat hearing the officer screaming and gasping from, from a corner she sees that Candyman has, has on the corner um, she, sees that, she sees that Candyman is also at the corner has the officer by his neck slashing him from his groin to his gullet floating toward the bar to face her his face changing to Daniel Robitaille saying quote unquote tell everyone 
The cops make it behind her. Then credits. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> I love this ending, dude. This ending is super strong. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I love this ending. This ending rules. This yeah. ending rules. God damn it, I love this movie, dude. Yeah, the movie's so good. I love it's it. It's so great. And it's just like, like I said, like it just gets to the ending really fast. Yes. Like once she starts to like discover the mystery, she gets kidnapped. Boom. He becomes Candyman. Dies. Okay. True death. But damn, what a movie. Yeah. What a fantastic movie. I agree. Lita Costa knocked it out of the park for me for this movie. Yes. The more times I watch it, the more I love it. One thing I didn't mention, I think William Burke inside of the laundromat I think he's reading of Clive Barker book. I think so, yeah. Yeah, he is, right? Yeah, think, he is. I don't remember what book it is, but I think it starts with a W. Maybe it's You're hundred percent right though. He is reading, he's reading Clive a Clive Barker. Barker book, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. And I don't maybe it's Weave World that he's reading. I don't know. Maybe. Whatever. Anyway, I got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts. Lakeith <laughs> <laughs> Stanfield was actually considered for the role of Anthony McCoy. He turned down the role. Oh, why? For okay. Judas and the Black Messiah, oh, okay. which garnered well. garnered him to win his first Academy nomination. Fair enough. I mean, I would have loved to have seen Lakeith in this role too. Yeah, but I mean, Yahya fucking nailed it. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> he's in two movies in twenty twenty one. Why couldn't he do it? It's okay. True. Uh, the cr- the crew actually encountered a bee infestation during filming, according uh, to the director Nia Costa. Sketch. William Burke is seen. Oh yeah, William Burke is seen reading the Clive Barker novel Weave World. There you <laughs> go. Uh, Barker created the character of of the Candyman in his short story The Forbidden. The film reuses the same sound of the crying baby from the original film. Oh, it's creepy, but Let's cool. Go, dude. I was. I've, I was. I love the details. Jordan Peele was re- originally attached to direct the project early on in production before moving it into a pro- producer's role. Nia DaCosta mm. was hired as director and later became the first black female filmmaker to have a movie open at first place at the box office. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. The first Candyman film... To, uh, this is the first Candyman film to have a black protagonist. There's three other Candyman films. All, all of white protagonists? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first one. And also, the first one that this isn't even mentioned here, this is the first Candyman film directed by a black person. Interesting. All in white men. And hopefully not the last. Hopefully not the last. When Clive is attacked um, by the Candyman, he says, must go faster, must go faster. This is a homage to Universal's Jurassic Park. When Ian Malcolm sees the Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing him in the car window, or the car mirror, and says the same thing. I fucking hate this scene. Yeah, it didn't need to be there. I I get it, no, because it's a mirror scene, and you're trying to mirror another movie. It, it, it wasn't good. It was. Like, <laughs> you're trying to mirror another movie. Yeah, yeah it wasn't Universal. Good. Yeah, Universal. Stop. Stop your shit. Uh, we'll do one more here. Uh, when Anne Marie tells Anthony he's the baby, um, uh, that Candyman kidnapped and attempted to sacrifice in 1992, there's a visible scar close to the shoulder on her left arm. The scar is a callback to the original Candyman when Helen stabbed an emotionally hysterical Anne-Marie with a meat cleaver in self-defense after being framed for kidnapping um, baby Anthony and murdering Anne-Marie's uh, Rottweiler by Candyman. I forgot that happened. <laughs> Holy a shit. lot happened in the 92 yeah. movie. Damn, what a flick, though, man. What a flick. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy we started with this Me movie too. this month. 
Me too. Strong one. But definitely let us know over on Twitter at Nightlight underscore pod what you think about Candyman 2021 by Nia DaCosta. Because I definitely want to keep this conversation going. Next week, though, we are continuing our Attack of the Sequels with another direct sequel. <gasps> Halloween 2018. Wow. By David Gordon Green. I did not mean for all that to rhyme. But <laughs> surprise, surprise. I, I'm a rapper now. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had... Ready? Candyman, 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 Candyman. Just four times. No more. Ooh, close one. Candyman, let's shut up. <gasps> also known as Nighty Night, our efforts to get the shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Candyman. Ooh, ooh. But bless you know on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss them, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.